question for you to get started. Can you think of the name of the company that produces the content that you consume the most on the internet? For me, the answer is starting strength. Second question, can you think of another company or a brand that produces the highest quality content of all the content you consume? For me, that's starting strength. So I show my support by subscribing to the network. It's $8 a month. You can sign up at network.startingstrength.com. If you can afford it, if it's no big deal, if eight bucks a month is a lot of money, don't sweat it and just keep listening for free. Uh, speaking of the rich and the poor, if you're the former, you might be able to afford our gyms. But the good news is the first session's free. It's a free 30-minute coaching session. And if you mention this ad spot at any participating gym, you will get a free 30-minute coaching session. So those are our ads. We are sponsored by ourselves. On with the show. Mildly entertaining, somewhat obscure guests, relatively interesting topics, semi-professional production quality, reasonably well-informed commentary, a great value for the money, hundreds of fans all around the world. It's the Starting Strength Gyms podcast with your host, Ray Gillenwater. Today's guest is John Kawauchi. John is on the podcast today to tell all of you old dogs with sore shoulders that uh, you shouldn't stop training. That's a shit excuse. You can't actually make things better. Surgery isn't the answer to all problems. Being big and strong is important, even if you do have injuries and uh, orthopedic problems. So John is one of Will Morris's clients. He has a rotator cuff tear. He went through some rehabilitation with Will Morris, like uh, most of us have. Um, us being the the people in my direct circle. Um, and John is, is one of these people that has an attitude that we like, which is, okay, I've got an injury, and that doesn't mean that I have to go sit in my ass till the day I die. I can work around it. I can make it better. The body is regenerative, and I can take advantage of that, of that uh, capability to my own benefit. So, John, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, man. Um, why don't you break down for us how this all started? What was going on with your shoulder? Um, I understand some pickleball was involved in pissing it off. Uh, give us the give us a summary of the problem. Sure. Um, well, I've been a tennis player since my 30s, and um, I knew that at some point my shoulder was not feeling well. But if, but probably like many 30 year olds, I just played through the injury, played through the pain, etc., and then. Um, uh, took some time off, uh, moved around with the family a little bit, um, took up biking, et cetera. But when pickleball came around probably about five or six years ago, um, I heavily got back into it. And um, that's when I re-aggravated the injury. And, um, you know, it's, you may know pickleball is very addictive and uh, a very popular sport with, uh, with us elderly folks. And um, we're playing four or five times a week. Um, and as I am basically semi-retired, um, you know, I have the time to play that. And I think I saw an article the other day about how pickleball uh, is basically more dangerous than you think because us, us retirees have all this time to go play it. So it may not be the most physically taxing, you know, like uh, rugby or something, but uh, we can play it so often and probably have a, uh, some sort of injury from previously where it tends to aggravate that. 
So um, uh, basically, it got to the point where I, I could barely lift my arm uh, over my shoulder. And uh, in pickleball, you also have to use a backhand, this sort of forward motion. Um, and that I could barely do. And um, that's when I knew I needed help. So I went to uh, my traditional doctor, got x-rays, MRIs, and they put me through the regular, oh, let's do a cortisone shot. And of course, that makes it feel better. But I also did know that uh, that was not a permanent solution. Uh, concurrent with all this, I'd actually, um, Pete Ye is actually, um, I've known him for about 15 years. And he had started the uh, starting strength gym here in Columbus. And um, he got me hooked up with Will, who I thank profusely about getting me on a different path. And he said, okay, you're gonna hear this from your traditional orthopedist. And they're gonna tell you, you know, um, it's all about posture, this kind of stuff. And, and, um, and he was right. Um, I did try some of that stuff, um, the rubber bands and everything and doing those stretching exercises. Um, I'm not saying it didn't help, but it certainly wasn't getting me to where I need to go, which is the purpose of starting strength. And the reason I started starting strength was to, to get to play pickleball better, strengthen myself, my core, everything. So I needed something kind of that combined the two, and it was just probably a coincidence that everything came together. Got it. Okay. How old are you, by the way? Cause part of my racism, but you're Japanese, so you could be 45 or 65 and I, I can't tell. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, it's funny you say that. A lot of folks think I'm uh, in my early 50s, but I just turned uh, uh, 60 on the 21st. Gotcha. Cool. Okay. Um, and uh, what, tell, tell us about the injury. What was the what was the diagnosis? I know you got, I believe you got some imaging done. Tell us about the details. Yes. Um, well, initially, I got an x-ray done, and x-rays really don't tell you a whole lot. And they said, well, okay, we need to do an MRI. And what the MRI showed was I had a 20% plus tear at the rotator cuff. Um, but I also knew that my, it turned out the deltoid uh, tendon was also bothering me, particularly as I was uh, raising my arm. So I knew that was a little bit of an issue. And just the overall weakness, I didn't realize because it was happening so gradually that I basically had lost strength um, in my right arm, which is my dominant arm. And where it started to exhibit itself even more was um, when I was doing deadlift, for example, I would lose my grip uh, on my dominant arm, which is not usually where you lose your grip. You usually, usually you should grip on your, you know, the, the, the non-dominant arm. And so then I knew something was going on. Um, so um, that's how the, the symptoms kind of exhib exhibited themselves. Got it. Okay. And tell us about how this affected your day-to-day -day life, what your what your pain was like and what you were and were not able to do. And then I want to talk to you about uh, when you met Will, what you guys did together and how you were how you were sure that Will's efforts were the thing that were making the difference. Sure. Well, um, initially, um, I just kind of did what I always did, you know, pop some ibuprofen, ice it down, or sometimes use some heat, um, or I had one of those... Um, uh, electrode things where you can actually, you know, increase the blood flow to the area. I mean, it all kind of helped, but it, it didn't really, it was treating the symptoms, not really treating the issue. Um, and it got to a point where it would literally wake me up at night if I rolled over the wrong way and, you know, I could feel the pain. Yeah. I think, uh, Ripito in his, uh, simplistic brilliance gets this just right. 
where when he's when he's talking to someone and they're trying to decide if they need surgery or not, he goes, "Can you sleep?" <laughs> it's like right. if you can't right. sleep, that's a problem. You know that needs to be fixed. And uh, I've right. I've been in your situation with shoulder problems. I've probably had three, let's call them moderate shoulder injuries over the years. And uh, I was in a position where um, I couldn't wipe myself with that hand after mm-hmm. the bathroom. I uh, couldn't sleep. I uh, could hardly move my arm. My right shoulder sits higher than my left shoulder. Um, when I go to, if I go to scratch my back, like I, I can't really lift my hand much above my waist when I put my, my arm behind my back. My shoulder is significantly compromised, um, but I've never had surgery. I just make sure that I can always press over 200 pounds, and that seems to do the trick. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what exactly did you and Will do? How did you approach this, and what was that like? Well, um, you know, first he explained to me that we wanted to um, definitely add, uh, you know, load weight onto um, the shoulder, et cetera, build the muscle, also strengthen the tendon. I had never heard about strengthening tendons. Um, mostly people say with ligaments and stuff, tendons like, oh yeah, it's, you know, if it's torn or it's injured, you pretty much have to live with it and manage it. But um, I had not heard that um, you could basically, you know, make it better. So um, when I basically reiterated to Will what I thought he told me was, so I want to make my 70, 80% of what's remaining in my tendon uh, better than the 100% uh, that it was five years ago or 10 years ago. He said, exactly. And I said, that makes sense, number one. Number two, that's a permanent solution. Uh, or something that you continuously, you know, sustain it, can sustain it versus something that you just treat the symptoms, treat the pain. And I said, well, I'm I'm up for that because I'm already committed to strengthening through strength, starting strength, other parts of my body. And why not also uh, use starting strength to deal with this particular issue? And um, so when we started, um, what we did was um, we altered uh, primarily uh, the bench press and the, um, well, three things we did actually. Bench press, we used a, a very, we used the block where I can, can't can um, lower the bar past um, maybe five inches above my, my chest so that I wouldn't torque, torque my shoulder. Um, we also did strict press instead of the full press, shoulder press. And then um, we used the, um, forgot what the bar is called, where um, instead of putting the barbell back on my shoulder, it's this kind of thing that I can also hold. Safety squat and, bar. And do a squat, safety squat bar, yep. yes. So the whole idea was to limit any torquing of, of my shoulder uh, while still building strength and, and progressing forward. Got it. Okay. So you're... you're uh... The principle here, which a lot of people are not aware of, even medical professionals aren't aware of, unfortunately, is you are a biological regenerative system, and provided you apply stress in a thoughtful way, you are able to rebuild tissue, and that applies to tendons as well. Tendons are tough because they're low blood flow, and once they're injured... They're, uh, they're you know, kind of perpetually pissed off, at least off and on. It's kind of like back injuries. I've discovered that myself, especially with my elbow tendinopathy. I've had tons of issues with that, but uh, it can be made better. Um, so it sounds to me like you did a couple of modifications on the exercises to, to limit unnecessary stress on, on the tendons and then started progressing forward with uh, the stress recovery adaptation process. Um, what, what were your numbers when you started 
and then uh, where were you when you got to a point where you're like, okay, this is no longer much of an issue, and then how long did that take? Okay, so when, so as I mentioned, I was on starting strength before I kind of said, look, I got to fix my shoulder, yep. and at that moment, I was, um, I was squatting probably 190, um, benching around 160, uh, deadlifting maybe 240, um, and what am I missing here? Press. Um, uh, press, I was pressing maybe 120. Got it. Okay. And so when we started the rehab, we basically cut those numbers down uh, at least by half. <laughs> I mean, I was only pressing, you know, 60 pounds. I was only benching maybe 100. Okay. Uh, the whole idea was to um, just start to get used to the limited range of motion and to build strength. Uh, and all the, one thing I did with the bench press, for example, we did what's called the you know a very slow bench press as opposed to the quick down, quick up. Like a tempo. And bench. that was tempo bench exactly, and that was a way to load things, um, uh, you know, without um, you know risk of injury um, because of the you know I wouldn't be doing a herky jerky type motion. Was it touch and go and on so, the block, or was it uh, uh, or was it a pause at the bottom of the bench? It was more of a little bit of a pause. Good. Okay. Okay. Just or the they said it could be a very, very light touch, but but you don't certainly want to bounce. Got it. Okay. Got it. Yeah. And so um, we did that for about. Uh, it was going to be a twelve week program. So we did that for about eight weeks, progressing in weight, maybe two and a half pounds or five pounds where it made sense. And so at, after the end of eight weeks. I was probably at about 80 to 90% of my max, you know, weights, um, um, you know, prior, you know, prior to the injury or prior to the rehab. Okay. And so currently, and it's been in, in that eight week time frame probably ended around May. And so I've been, um, out of that eight week rehab, um, for now, at least a couple months, two or three months now. And so currently, I just I'm almost setting PRs, um, you know, every other day. Um, I only go now two times a week, but I did. Um, in fact, I went today. Um, you know, I can I'm doing like 130 on the press, um, 210 on the bench, and 220 on the squat and um, deadlift. I actually, you know, hit the three cookies here. Uh, did the 315. So not bad for an old um, dog, man. Well done. I know. I'm, that's the biggest thing. I'm like, well, I have, my son is doing, and my son and wife actually do starting strength. So um, my goal was to be, my son is going to be passing me shortly, but I had to hit the, uh, the 300 and 315 on the deadlift before he did. So. Nice, nice. Are you all training over at uh, Pete's Gym in Columbus? Yes. Oh, cool. Yes. So starting strength Columbus owned by Pete Yeh. Um, solid guy. Sounds like he's got a kick-ass community down there. And then how did you guys he meet? Does. Were, you, were you buds before he opened the gym or did you guys meet through the gym? Um, well, I had worked at Nationwide um, back in 2000 and um, starting in about 2007, 2008, I believe. And um, um, he was just a youngster back then. Um, and there was this sort of a corporate mentor program and I was hooked up with Pete, and, and we've just stayed in touch ever since then and enjoyed each other's companies. We played racquetball and squash and all sorts of stuff, pickleball now. And so I've just known him for, you know, about 15, 16 years. Gotcha. Okay. 
and he actually um, said, "Oh, you gotta, you gotta check out this thing called Starting Strength." And um, only as a favor to him, I said, "Okay, I'll check it out." And once he explained what it was, then I was hooked because, yes. you know, um, I'm looking for sustainable solutions, not just your latest, you know, fad diet, so to speak. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and I know Pete's a finance guy. Are you in the? I'm assuming you're in the finance world as well. So um, you all yeah. have a, a penchant yeah. for. Uh, uh, things with numerical qualities, things you can track and measure, right? Yes, you know, return on investment, so to speak. And, um, you know, we, wanna, we want to invest in things, that sort of mentality. Nothing happens overnight, you know, and you have to invest your time and effort into something. And we actually use a lot of uh, investment type metaphors, you know, this is your strength 401k, so to speak. You know? Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, and I've heard it described as even better than a 401k because not only are you accruing it for later use, but you get to use it while you're accruing it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, what I was going to mention is, so uh, when when I was in the corporate world, my specialty was kind of retirement planning. And um, where I think is especially applicable is, uh, you know, I've actually coached a lot of people, at least on the financial end, through retirement planning. And the biggest conundrum is, okay, well, how do you make your money last? Okay. And, um, and I see where people's retirements is actually have actually not been as fulfilling as people wanted to. Uh, they don't want to outlive their money. Okay. Number one and number two, but when are you most, most healthy to be able to spend your money? So the conundrum is you want to spend your money in your, you know, fifties, sixties and seventies before you get too old. Okay. And a lot of people, um, are not healthy enough in their 70s, 80s, and 90s so that the money they didn't spend because they didn't want to outlive it, they have all this money now and they haven't lived the fulfilling life that they could. So with my background, obviously, in the retirement end of it and now with starting strength, et cetera, I said, well, you can, you can have both. You can have the, um, uh, the livelihood financially as well as from a strength perspective so that you can live well throughout your retirement. Excellent. I love that message. Speaking of messages to send to people that uh, might be listening and, and in a similar circumstance as you or similar enough for it to be relevant, what, um, how, how would you describe this to them? Because you, you're, just, let me give you some context on the question. You're, you're in a very typical situation for us in terms of a, a prospective member that's a perfect fit, but you've never heard of the program. You've heard of tons of fads and you're just skeptical in general about fitness. Um, you're aging, you know that you want to age as gracefully as possible. You know, you want to have the capability to live a full life in your retirement seventies and beyond. And you know that there are some things you can do, but even stuff that's low impact, like pickleball still kind of tears you up. So you're, you're sort of limited. You're like, okay, I can do some conditioning. Anything too hardcore is going to be rough on my body and my joints. Um, I don't really know what to do. I got to do something, got to stay fit, stay, got to stay active. Maybe I hike, maybe I walk. And I, I can tell that that the starting strength idea really opened your mind to the possibilities. Um, and so based on the insights that you gathered from the process, how would you describe this to your old self, John, the John that didn't understand this uh, a couple years back? How would you, I, I'm curious about your point of view, because for, for some people listening, they might share this podcast with someone in your situation that needs to hear it. And and our, our general theme here is we're trying to appeal to people just like you, people that are, you know, middle-aged plus, mature, smart, successful, um, understand delayed gratification. And uh, if they knew about this process, they'd, they'd certainly be interested. So just, just curious about your point of view. 
Yeah. Um, in the biggest um, revelation for me has been, it doesn't take that much time. And I think in the early days, um, in fact, I read some articles that said, well, Nautilus was probably one of the worst things that could happen that had happened actually to a lot of folks because there's rows and rows of machine and I would literally spend three hours in the gym going through each machine and I didn't have, okay. And I would do all the lifts and exercises to failure and I didn't have to do that. And so what starting strength has taught me is, you know, I go twice a week for an hour and a half and I'm now lifting weights that I've never, I've never deadlifted 300 pounds or, um, when I was in grad school and I was 25 years old, I could only, you know, bench press my weight, which was 160, 165. Now, even though I'm now 175, I clearly can bench much more than 175. So I don't have to sit there and, you know, feel the burn, so to speak. And, and, you know, I don't think anybody who's retired or semi-retired wants to do that. Okay. Yeah. I want to spend time doing other things. And so, um, that, that was one of the biggest revelations is by the correct dosing and loading of weight, um, you can achieve things um, far easier, so to speak, uh, although on the wall it says nothing is easy or easy, easy doesn't, doesn't work, work, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Easy doesn't work, but, um, you know, it, it, I'm not saying say. it's uh, it, it, exactly. Right. And so it's time well spent. And, um, and it's also money well spent. People are saying, well, I can go to Lifetime Fitness for 20 bucks a month or whatever. But, you know, a lot of it is, you know, what's the environment? You're there with other people of all ages. Um, I was mentioning to Pete the other day, I said, you know, what's interesting is half the members at the gym are women. Okay. And so it's not about bulking up and doing all those sorts of macho things. It's about getting stronger and, and improving your quality of life. In fact, um, my wife now does it and she's never lifted weights or done anything um, since I've known her, okay? And so she plays pickleball and wants to improve her pickleball. So she's now doing uh, starting strength. So, um, and has been doing it for close to a year. We've all been doing it, my son as well, close to a year. And so it really is a sustainable lifestyle change, but without, uh, you know, the pain of having to go to the gym for three hours at a time or, you know, three or four times a week. Um, you don't have to lift till failure. Um, and, um, and it's actually a good time. Everyone's encouraging. It's a nice environment and um, people really care about you. That's pretty unusual in the, in the fitness business and just in general, anything related to your health. Mm -hmm. uh, and anything related to a business where you're paying someone money, you know, the, the amount of care and attention you get in our gyms, I think is pretty special. It dawned on me that, uh, we're onto something different here when John Hahn, the owner of starting strength Memphis called me and he said, you know, the, the, the most fascinating part about this gym that I've opened Ray is, is not that we have, um, all of these members and we're, you know, we're, we're competing with other fitness, uh, brands and we're, you know, sealing their members. It's not that at all. We're competing with the couch. 80 plus percent of the people mm -hmm. in this gym would be doing nothing if not for this. Because these are these are shrewd people that, that make calculated decisions and there's not a, a solution out there that gives them a good enough bang for their buck. So they don't invest in it. And um, I, I like the way that you frame the, the uh, kind of the investment metaphor because I, I think it's spot on. And this, 
this certainly appeals to a certain type of person. And I think that uh, the communities, as you've alluded to, that we've built in these gyms are, are special. So not only do you have a coach over your shoulder making sure that your technique is as perfect as possible and your program is dialed in so the stress matches your situation, but you're also surrounded by a, a group of like-minded people. And then a lot of members, just like yourself, include their families in training at, at these gyms. So we have plenty of families that train together, which I think is pretty neat. Some some families train at separate times intentionally, <laughs> and then other families want to train together as a group. So what's what's your situation? You guys all go at the same time, or how does that work? Well, my son and I, um, he's 26, and um, he and I go uh, Tuesdays, Thursdays now. And... Um, and then um, my wife goes three times a week. Um, she goes Tuesday, Thursdays toward the evening. And then uh, Zach and her, she, they go Saturday morning. So they're doing three times at the moment, and I only do twice. So. Do you know any of their stats off the top of your head? So I'd be interested in your your wife's um, height and body weight and the progress she's made over time, if you if you know off, offhand. Yeah, um, she's a little petite woman. She's about 5'1", and... Um, uh, maybe 120 pounds. And um, I know that you know, she's deadlifting right now, I think about 170. And, uh, you know, initially started, you know, probably below 100. Um, I don't know her press numbers and, and her squat. Well, now squat, I think is up around uh, the same as well. So, and my son, who's never done anything athletic, he actually um, has Asperger's. And and so um, it's kind of tricky sometimes to get him to do things that are, um, you know, athletic, et cetera. And it's, he's really taken a liking to things. And um, um, so just today he was squatting like uh, 280. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's a little bigger than I am. He's around 210, 220, but still um, guy who'd never, you know, done any, any lifting at all. I think he benches around, um, you know, about what I do. And then, uh, deadlift catching up. He's got that 305. So, um, fortunately I got that 300 before he did. So <laughs> <laughs> what's his, what's his height? He's, um, about six foot. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Big boy. And then do you have him on uh, or is he on any type of a diet? Is he, is he eating his protein and things like 200 plus grams of protein a day? Yeah, I, uh, we all take our protein shakes in the morning and, um, you know, oh, that's the other thing you want to mention about, um, you know, the, um, why it's been sustainable is um, we're not having to starve ourselves. <laughs> you know, I mean, we naturally are eating better and, 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 and more healthy food, but we still have bacon. You know, we still, you know, eat the foods that we like. We're just naturally a little bit more conscious not to overdo it with the sweets and whatever. But we're also very conscious to say, hey, look, if uh, if you're lifting and um, you need um, you need the protein, um, in fact, um, Pete had introduced us to a, a Korean uh, um, barbecue place. It's all you can eat for lunch, so we all go there now. And um, they're lucky they only have a two-hour limit because otherwise we'd stay there for all day. <laughs> I'm a big fan. So um, yeah, so that's the other thing is I mean, when you're you know retired, I can imagine you don't want to be you want to be enjoying things, right? You don't want to say, oh, my God, I got to stay in this diet so I can live till I'm 90. The whole point of retirement is to live, not to, you know, not live. <laughs> so. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think that's one thing that the fitness industry and the nutrition industry by proxy get totally wrong, which is since they're so focused on the short term, they sell these programs that are not sustainable. 
that you know the the, mm-hmm. the intensity and the frequency of the workouts are not sustainable um, and even if they are physiologically are they psychologically do you really want to spend that much time doing this nonsense uh, in the gym or is the gym something that enables you to do something outside of the gym like the way we approach it same thing with diet you know is is uh are you going to go on some crash diet where you're you're eating um, you know boiled chicken and broccoli um, six times a day, or are you going to just simply make some adjustments to your macronutrient split and dial in your total calories a little bit so that you're uh, you know you're eating for performance, and then uh, lo and behold, your body composition goes the direction you want it to go, and then the numbers keep going up, and life gets better. So, I guess what I'm trying to say is we're 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 attempting to be the adults of the fitness industry. You know, it's like um, if, if you're a kid and you want to jump from fad to fad and it's all about aesthetics and it's all about the Instagram cloud or whatever, cool. That's just not what we do. But if you're an adult and you want to, you want a template for making yourself more capable and you want a template for improving the way you eat so you can achieve the results under the bar and the results you're looking for aesthetically, it's not that complicated. It's really not that complicated and it doesn't right. take that much time. I mean, you're, you're 90 minutes t- twice a week. If you were in a hurry, that could be 45 minutes or an hour if you wanted it to be right. Um, but, uh, but 90 mm-hmm. minutes is taking your rest and having a chat and hanging out and great. At least going to the gym is a good time and you're around people you enjoy being around. That's right. That's right. So yeah, you know, I mean, even my wife who I mentioned had never uh, done any sort of uh, weightlifting program ever, um, religiously goes. And, um, in fact, when she, um, cause she still has to work a little bit. And, um, when she misses a time, she's like, says goes the next day. Um, or she makes sure that it's not, okay, well, I, I'll just blow it off this week. She, she, she makes it up. Yeah. And so it's something that, um, people enjoy going to. So. Outstanding. Well, um, let me know if there's anything else you want to talk about that I didn't ask you about when it, when it comes to lifting. Otherwise I've, I've, uh, I actually want to ask you a couple of finance questions. I figure while we have you, let's give some advice to the audience about uh, how to prepare for sure. retirement the way you have. So anything I haven't asked you about lifting that you want to mention? Um, no, I think we pretty much covered it. Um, a lot of it was that, um, and I'm kind of maybe bringing in the experience of my wife and, and my son is, um, you know, a lot of these uh, levels um, seem unattainable. And, um, and the whole starting strength method, you know, five, two and a half or five pounds a week, or sometimes maybe only a pound a week will get you there. And, uh, you know, I never thought, um, you know, I'd be deadlifting 300 pounds. Um, when I first started, I, I think I deadlifted 150 pounds initially. And it's like, wow, within a year, I'm going to double that. So, um, you know, and I'm not, wasn't slaving away in the gym. I was just making steady progress. And, um, and I see that all the time. I see it with other folks that are there and folks that are older than me. And, um, you know, and so I see it with my own eyes. It's not just what I've achieved by myself. It's what, what other people are achieving. So. Probably a great segue into the, the next question, because you're essentially saying that uh, frequent deposits of a similar denomination equals a good outcome long term. Um, what, what is your big picture advice? For those that want to stick around and listen to just a finance pro's point of view on um, on how to manage your lifestyle and, and your cash situation, what is what is some big picture advice that people can follow to make sure that they are preparing correctly for retirement and their financial house is in order? And, and obviously, I know that that this definitely is is varies based on the individual situation. But I'm curious if you have any thoughts on just general advice that applies to most people. 
Yeah. Um, I also have a background in what's called behavioral economics. So it kind of, why do people do the things that they do? And it also, and oftentimes it's what they do is counter to what they should be doing. I guess there's a little bit of a bleed over there with starting strength, but um, <laughs> a lot of people, um, a lot of people like to follow the crowd, it, particularly in investment type things, because they want to feel safe, right? Um, and um, and what happens, unfortunately, is when the market enters um, volatile periods, the crowd gets nervous. Okay. Well, what happens when the crowd gets nervous? Well, people tend to get out of the market. <laughs> okay. So, uh, and then on the flip side, when the market's doing really well, okay, people tend to say, well, well yeah, um, so-and-so, my barber's making money or my hairdresser's making money. I, I should be in the market. So if you are always following the crowd, people tend to buy high and sell low. <laughs> okay. And so um, you almost got to prepare yourself to the exact opposite. And, um, and if you can do that consistently, you will do fine. And um, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people think also that the market is a gambling mechanism when it's not. Um, you know, I've been through in my career four or five different market crashes or bear markets, et cetera. And, you know, despite all that, I've sent, you know, uh, my other son to college. Um, Zach would have gone to college had he wanted to go. And I've been able to pretty much retire early, um, which had been a goal of mine. So slow and steady and sustainable wins the race. And um, just be disciplined. Um, it doesn't mean you can't, you know, um, splurge every once in a while and, and do something fun. It just means that just just follow that path and and it, and you'll get where you want to go. Unfortunately, most people they um, read the news too much <laughs> and um, and they follow people as if there's um, uh, just they follow people with just opinions, okay, as opposed to having the the track record and the data and the process that they um, uh, they've developed over time, like the starting strength process that have had you know. It, given results and you can see the results okay versus just pure opinion there's always an opinion out there and um and that that's the thing that's frustrating just like you know just like i'm sure um you know strength strength training there's so many opinions out there um but how do you really sift through things and 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 get it done and that's just really being consistent and just making progress yeah yep. Yep. yeah my take on personal finance is <clears throat> maximize your income especially when you're, and, and I'm actually contradicting myself here because I'm, I'm not maximizing my income in my current role, but um, I, I believe this is a good long-term situation. Um, maximize your income, especially in your years of high productivity, you know, um, like build a, build a really strong foundation of excellence and uh, um, expertise in a domain so that by the time you're in your 30s, you can just go hard. You keep going hard in your 40s, go, go, go hard for as long as you can and build build wealth um because earning is is the prerequisite to investing right um and then keep your expenses as low as possible and uh, i like what you suggested mm -hmm. there as far as splurging every so often but not making that a, a recurring theme and it's it's a lot like nutrition you know you can you can see mm -hmm. what somebody's lifestyle and level of self-control is like by looking at their waistline you know um so so be prudent with your expenditures and uh, make sure you're thinking about the future. 
when it comes to asset classes, I've got a couple of opinions to share, and I'm curious what your thoughts are. Mm-hmm. Um, I view the market individual stocks as a pretty risky game. And if you want to pick individual stocks, don't do that unless you're a professional. Um, I think doing doing fund investing, I think the track records are pretty clear that if you get in at the right time, you can, you can make some steady gains over time. Um, I think... Uh, uh, the guys over at Berkshire make that make that pretty evident. I think the Vanguard fund is pretty pretty solid. Um, I'm not a stock guy at the moment just because there's no extra cash to invest in stocks. So I I, uh, I invest in myself since I'm an entrepreneur. Um, and then generally, I think investing in in businesses if you understand business and you understand how to do diligence on a business is wise. Um, and uh, I think real estate is smart if you if you know when to buy if you buy at uh, at a low price with a low cost uh, to capital, you can get into an asset that not only appreciates over time, but also throws off cash flow. So I think, um, I think that's kind of how I view the, I guess, my top three asset classes, if you want to call investing in yourself an asset class, and just my overall view on personal finance, would you would you contradict anything I said there or add anything to it? No, I, I think that's a great mindset. I think the key to what you're saying is, um, you have to invest in things that um, none of those things that you mentioned are a sure thing. Okay. That's okay. If it was a sure thing, you wouldn't actually be making money. <laughs> okay. It's keeping the money in the bank, making a half percent. Okay. And losing to inflation, of course. Um, you have to invest in things, whether it's a business, whether it's um, index funds, whether, you know, that actually have an opportunity to grow. With that opportunity to grow comes volatility in the short term, but in the long term, it certainly can pay off and usually does pay off. And so the more asset classes you have, the better, because what actually um, I'm kind of prognosticating here from my MBA days is its correlation is the key. Things that are not correlated will make your portfolio safer. Okay. Mm. So when you mentioned real estate, a business, stocks, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm a Berkshire fan. Um, I, uh, I also do things like structured notes and hedge funds and uh, life insurance and annuities. So I, add, I have more asset classes. Now, people always, there's always um, somebody who has an opinion. And I always say, well, follow the money. The person who's offering the opinion is oftentimes the person who, you know, their hammer is always a solution for that nail. All right. Okay. And so uh, if you follow the money and what motivates the person, that's what you got to watch out for. And what I mean by that is um, I think you would agree that things that are valuable are typically not cheap, right? Why should they be cheap if they're valuable? Right. Yep. By definition, but things that are cheap, by definition and so there's a lot of strength advice out there right so things that are valuable are typically not cheap yeah okay and what's the flip side things that are cheap are typically not valuable so that's why i don't trust a lot of things that are on the internet i'm not saying it's all bad i'm just saying if you follow those rules um that will lead you in a better direction there's no there's nothing wrong with certain insurance products if if that's what makes sense for you. There are people out there like the Dave Ramsey's of the world, maybe I shouldn't be saying anyone in particular, who will say, oh, you can't do annuities. In fact, that was a conversation Pete and I had with another uh, lifter uh, the other day in, in starting strength. And I'm like, well, there's nothing inherently bad if that's what you need and that's what makes sense for you. And of course it's gonna cost money. 
why shouldn't it? If it does, if it does something uh, counter to the market and is is anti-correlated, and that's what you want, then it you can't get that for free. You got to buy a product that does exactly what you want. And in the context of your portfolio, that may make sense. Okay. So again, free doesn't mean it's great, but there are so many people who out there who say, well, if I had invested in this and I just bought the cheapest thing, I would have done just as well. And part of me just says, well, but you didn't, did you? Hindsight. Okay. It's hindsight. Okay. Hindsight, and that's my financial background that says you can always slice and dice the market because I used to be one of those guys for my product when I manage product to say, I can always find a set of data that supports my argument. Absolutely. You can always do that. Yeah, that's uh, so. that's how the government-funded scientists do it. They do uh, retrospective epidemiological studies. They take a data set. I'll tell you whatever you want to hear based on a data set. I can filter any which mm -hmm. way I want to, right? Mm -hmm. um, your, by the way, your advice of not following the trend is so smart. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to even share this, this story because it makes me sound so stupid. But in my defense, I was 20 when I bought my first house. It was in Irvine, California. It was a condo. And... Um, I'd, I'd saved up, I was finally making good money. The market was just on fire. This was in 2008 of all times. So I was like, well, shit, I can get an interest-only loan, buy this thing, the equity's gonna keep going up, I'll refinance. I had the same plan that every you know stripper in Southern California had, basically. And uh, and it didn't go well, it didn't go well. So um, I had to short sell that thing, ding my credit for, you know, for seven years, 100 grand loss. Um, and if I had just thought about it for a second, like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Things are growing real fast, they're at an all-time high. This is probably a time to sell, not to buy. I just, I just didn't have the experience back then, but lesson learned, that one's burned into my brain for sure. Um, <laughs> and then to your point about, about making sure, well, I just wanted to, to add a point actually. So, so in terms of picking an investment vehicle, you you stated that you know there's not like a you can't you can't just call a category of investment or an asset class bad or good it's a solution to a problem and it depends on your situation and my my thought is any any investment that you're looking to make make sure that and this goes with any important decision in life the narrative does not matter the narrative is bullshit the narrative serves the purpose of the salesman what matters are the data what matters is the actual numbers and you need to be able to evaluate the numbers yourself, which leads to kind of the theme, which is don't invest in something you don't understand. Because if you're dependent on somebody else understanding it for you, especially if that person isn't your blood, that is a situation where the incentives are probably not aligned. So make sure you can understand the numbers. Um, I did wanna mention a couple things too. So, and then I had another question for you. Uh, I just stumbled across this account called Wealthfront. Um, I, I won't link to a referral link or anything. I don't benefit at all from mentioning this, but there's a there's a Wealthfront savings account that's 4.55% APR. So if you've got some cash, and uh, and by the way, they 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 do uh, the ICS cash sweep uh, distributed deposits. So if you're depositing more than 250,000 with them, they'll FDIC insure all of it. So you get a savings account at 4.55% interest, which in today's market with inflation is is pretty outstanding. So I just put a bunch of cash into there. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm looking at, at, uh, speaking of my lesson that I learned from buying my first house, I'm looking at companies like NVIDIA and Tesla. So NVIDIA is the graphics card company that makes all the GPUs that powers AI. Mm -hmm. Um, NVIDIA is a super hot stock right now, and they may be one of the most valuable companies in the world at some point, but I'm not going to buy now. I'm not going to buy now because everything's really high. Tesla, 
Tesla's building an army of robots and they have the most advanced AI on the planet and they'll probably be the most valuable company on the planet. I believe Elon when he says that. But the market's frothy and it's high and I don't want to buy now. So I'm, I'm waiting to see if there's a correction and just based on the commercial real estate situation and the impending apocalypse in, uh, in, off, in the, a specific asset of, of office space um, and all those loans that are likely to become uh, defunct and, go, and, and, uh, and default, I believe that there will be a massive correction. So this is, for my uh, uneducated, you know, outsider perspective, I don't believe this is the time to be buying stocks. I'd love your reaction to that if you have any thoughts to share. And then I also wanted to ask you for your um, your thoughts on, just as a final question to wrap up, your your thoughts on life insurance generally, because I've got a couple of thoughts and I'm, I'm on the market mm -hmm. for it and uh, just curious what you think. Right. Well, in fact, it's interesting you bring up those two stocks because I actually own them. Right. Okay. And when something is on fire, um, I think your instincts are good to say, okay, you know, you don't want to chase something that, you know, probably has to cool off a little bit. Yep. Okay. Uh, I don't really have a great answer to that only to say that, um, you always keep a little powder dry. Okay. Particularly in these volatile times. Um, and even though we've had a first good half of the year, um, we know it's bound to cool off a little bit. Okay. Um, so the corollary to all this is when something does take a big dip, don't be afraid to buy. That goes to the contrarian aspect, right? Okay, when no one else is buying, it's exactly when you want to buy. And that's counter to your issue with your real estate that you bought when everybody was bought, right? Okay, uh, case in point, back in 2009, when the market took a really big dip, right, because of the banking crisis, et cetera, um, you had mentioned Berkshire. I actually, for my wife, bought a, a huge amount of Berkshire, okay? Uh, Berkshire Class B was selling at about $65 a share back then. And um, of course, I had more at stake than just the money. It was my relationship with my wife. But um, uh, so <laughs> you don't want to mess bet, up those sorts of That's right. So, and, and you may know that Berkshire Class B right now is $330 a share. So I've like, you know, and it, it doesn't mean I haven't made mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. Okay. But um, but it just goes to show you that it really is you know not following the crowd, um, using your brain so to speak, um, and but willing to commit to something you know is inherently right. Yep. Uh, when a good quality company is um, slammed for no other reason than the market isn't a bad place, uh, you got to be buying. Okay. There was a time when Nvidia was down, I believe, about a year ago, right? And uh, that's when I bought some, <laughs> okay? Right. So, um, you know, it doesn't mean you always have to buy a lot, okay? But buy some, okay? Um, Berkshire actually knew I should buy a lot because with Warren Buffett running the thing, <laughs> I said- It's hard to go wrong. Um, yeah, it, it, unless this whole country goes to, you know- uh, Then we have bigger problems. Here, um, yeah. Then we got bigger problems, but I know that, hey, this is the time to buy Berkshire. It is on sale and I'd be a fool not to buy it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's solid, and I think that's a Warren Buffett uh, maxim as well. It's like, if uh, the, the market is a reflection of the emotional state of the people buying stock, and that does not change the business fundamentals. So if there's a reaction in the market that causes the stock to be cheap, but the business fundamentals are sound, that's a buying opportunity. Um, so yeah, don't follow the crowd and do exactly the opposite of what idiots like Jim Cramer say, and you'll probably be in pretty good shape. <laughs> right, right.
So, so you had a question on uh, life insurance. Yeah, let's let's wrap there. This is a little bit self-serving, but uh, uh, man, this is sure. one of these areas where the salesman that stands between you and the product you want to buy is the thing that prevents you from taking action because they're so uninterested in your actual situation and creating a solution that is ideal for you instead of ideal for the commission check. So um, I just I know I know two people that are my age that uh, have either died themselves or have had a family member die. Um, and this is in the last 18 months and I've had to lean on life insurance and, you know, I've got a baby at home now and I've got a wife and I'm just thinking to myself, I'm, I'm, I'm a risk taker. I've, I've got a bunch of uh, chips on the table and who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Right. So, um, I think there, uh, there's term life insurance and then uh, what's, what's the other one term and. Well, there's a class called permanent, which includes like whole life insurance whole. or, um, universal life insurance, et cetera. But. But, but there is this thing called whole life, which I actually have a policy, uh, which is whole life. Gotcha. Okay. So whole, whole life is the type of deal, if I'm not mistaken, where you're basically, you're, you're purchasing ter term insurance, but you're also kind of investing into an account um, that, that compounds. It's like, it's, it's almost like two assets in one. And I might be totally butchering this. I'm, I'm completely new to this asset class. So maybe, maybe better if I just ask you, can you break down the differences between life insurance and any general advice you have for someone looking to purchase something? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, as you probably already know, there, there's really what's called term, which is temporary, and then there's what's called permanent. Okay. Term is a form of temporary. You're only being insured for a certain period. Okay. And usually um, when you're young, your, your odds of dying are very small. So that's why you can get it very cheaply. Okay. But what happens is that if you don't die, well, you basically get nothing for your money. Okay, that's okay if that's what you want, okay? On the permanent side, um, there's whole life, and then there's, let's say, universal life. What you mentioned is really called universal life, where what they're doing is there's an investment account and there is a term life policy joined together so that you have to put money in the investment account side, and as it kicks off earnings, it's paying the premium for the term policy. Okay, so that, that's how it works. Now, what PEA and I own actually is called whole life. That's another form that's different from what you described, where we are um, owners through our policy of the company. Okay, so um, our life insurance company where I bought my whole life policy, I am a part owner of that company. So as that company does well, does well I get my portion of proceeds from that. Okay. And, um, and there are certain contractual guarantees that death benefit, has, as long as you're paying your premium, the death benefit goes up and the cash value goes up. Okay. Now it's a very, very long-term investment. Okay. I've been contributing to one for 15 years. Okay. But it's now to the point where it has enough cash value to where the dividends that are thrown off will pay for the annual premium. So that's what's called an offset. So for example, so um, I will no longer have to pay additional premium unless I want to. Now I may want to because it's also an investment that's really a bond portfolio. So I look at it as my bond portfolio that just happens to have a death benefit connected to it. Interesting, okay. interesting. And so here's the kicker. Now, even though from a cash flow perspective, um, 
it is more expensive than a term policy by magnitudes, okay? I will get every penny I put into it back. Either, you know, whether I can you know, access it in various ways before I die or when I die. Yeah. Now, people will say, well, why do I need the money when I die? But, you know, I have a son who has Asperger's and I have to probably set up a special needs trust or you may have other reasons to want to leave a bequest to your to your heirs, et cetera. So, but the key there is I'm getting every penny I put into it back at a rate of return, okay? And the rate of return will probably end up being 4%. Damn. Okay. Now, it takes a very long time for this to happen, but the other kicker is, okay, you mentioned the bank account that offers 4%. Well, guess what? Every year, you've got to what? Pay taxes on That's that, right. right? Yeah. Okay. When when that death benefit kicks in on my policy, it's tax-free to my heirs. Mm. Okay. So, uh, and I can use that for all sorts of things. For example, um, long-term care. Um, if I ever run into problems and I have to, you know, ask my kids to help me out, which they probably won't, but you know, um, I can. They're going to get paid back from the life insurance policy. Or if I die before my spouse does, she's basically won the lottery. Yeah, <laughs> okay? right. Yeah, that's why you got to treat her well. And so, so there's all these. So it's not just a return that matters; it's the timing of the return, yeah. right? And, and so that you can't. You remember I talked about correlation earlier. So you have to have. You want to probably have some assets that are not correlated with the rest of your assets. Mm -hmm. And so that's the reason I buy that is because it will pay off when, um, you know, I, it, it needs to. That's when I die. <laughs> okay. Well, what happens if I don't die? It's still by itself from a pure investment perspective, pretty good for how conservative it is and the tax, uh, the tax issue. And also, I, and everyone I ask, well, do you think taxes are going up or do you think they're going down? <laughs> If you think they're going up, well, then you want to put some of your assets in something that's very much tax advantaged. Very interesting, man. I love this podcast. So, I tend to learn something new every time. Yeah. If you if you want to chat, uh, you know, after on this, I can. It is it it isn't for everyone, but uh, if you have any interest in it, um, you know, I can go through the whole nine yards. I would love it actually, if you wouldn't mind. If I could bother you to send me a link to something I can read, and then I'll hit you back with the. Uh, sometimes we can talk. I would appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Sure. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, there we're at about an hour, John. Thank you for sharing your story, for taking the time with us today. Um, thank you for educating me and hopefully a few others on some important long-term planning stuff uh, beyond just strength, uh, but for, for the financial side of your, your life as well. And that's kind of the theme of today's episode, which is, hey, uh, you only get one life. It's on a, it's on a strict timeline. Um, there's not much you can do to, to adjust that. But what you can do is optimize your experience um, just in general with your financial health and in your physical and psychological life with how you handle your body and your, your nutrition. So, John, you're a, clearly a, a sober-minded, thoughtful guy. And, um, yeah, thanks for being a member at, at Starting Strength Columbus with your family and for contributing and for enjoying what we're offering here. And that's the kind of deal that works out great for everyone. So much appreciated. Well, yeah, I enjoyed it and uh, chatting with you. And um, thanks for the invite. So. All right. Thanks, John.